Jesus is coming when we don't expect it. Pre, he's not going to pre-announce it. Does that say that? Yes. yes. Okay. Now, hold that thought. And I want you to, before we go to the next verse, we need to camp here just a minute. Go to Matthew 25 and look at verse 13. Jesus is still talking about being prepared. Now read verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Now wait, while you're at it, read 31 and 32 of Matthew 25. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. Okay. As you read the scripture, especially considering that if you were reading this in the original form, you would pull it open and you would not turn pages and have a 24 and a 25 and a 1, 2, 3 and a 4, 5, 6, but you'd be reading it in a succession of thought, right? Now, is it logical to you that the scripture would use a phrase and then just a few thoughts, lines, words, use that same phrase and have a totally different meaning? Is that likely? No, it's not. Okay, I want you to notice here that he said, listen to what was read, your Lord is coming. Watch therefore you do not know when the Lord is coming. The son of man is coming and as an hour you do not expect. Watch therefore you do not know the, the day nor the hour when the son of man is coming. Okay, so when he comes again, when he comes again, according to the understanding, he's going to rapture the saved. That, okay, now, but wait. Did we not just read in verse 30 and 31 that when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the, and all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them as uh, a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. Wait a minute. Verse 46 says that these are righteous and unrighteous. These shall go away and the righteous into life eternal. According to that passage, when Jesus comes again, the righteous and the unrighteous are going to be in his presence. They're going to appear before him then. There is no time in between. The thought process that there's going to be a righteous taking and then an unrighteous judgment years later does not harmonize with the timeline of Scripture I want you to consider that. And if it doesn't harmonize with the timeline of Scripture, then it doesn't harmonize with Scripture. And if it doesn't harmonize with Scripture, I can't embrace it as a pleasing belief. But why? Because it isn't true. So, all right, now, before we leave that, we may not even get to Luke 17. Before we leave uh, Matthew 25, I want you to notice this. Um, if you back up, we started in verse 32. Verse 42, I'm so sorry. That said, uh, no, let me say it again. 36. But of that day and that hour, no one knows. The word but is a contrast word. When you read Matthew 24, 
he is talking about two different events. He has to be. That's just your opinion, preacher. Wait a minute. The word but means I'm talking about one thing and now I'm going to talk about another. If I said uh, Luther told me this, but JT told me that, nobody in this room is going to say, well, are they the same people? Well, no, because you just said, you just contrasted that you were talking to two, to two people. So verse 36, that day and that hour, up above that, wait a minute. When you start reading in chapter 24, when Jesus talks about, and you will hear verse 6 of wars and rumors of wars, nation rising up against nation. Verse 21, there will be great tribulation. I'm skipping. We, we just don't have the time. There will be great tribulation. And then he says, um, let not your flight be in winter. All of those things that he talks about, yes, even signs. He's not talking about the coming in judgment because he said in verse 36, but of that day and that hour knows no man. He used the reference of the fig tree in verse 32, the parable of the fig tree. When the branch has already become tender and put forth leaves, you know summer is near. How do y'all know it's all, how do you know it's uh, fall? What'd you say? The leaves are turning. How do I, you know how I know it's almost deer season? It has nothing to do with the calendar. You know what's all over my truck? Fell off the trees. Leaves. Leaves, not just leaves, acorns. Acorns, okay? The acorns are ripe and they're falling and, the, and, and they're looking for them, okay? So I know it's about that time because nature's telling me that. Jesus said when the fig tree by the, changes, you know it's time. So you'll know it's about time when you see these things happening. But then he said in verse 36, of that day and that hour, nobody knows. Either Jesus, and forgive me for being plain here, I mean no disrespect, but either Jesus was the most elusive, skilled, con man who ever lived or a complete lunatic because he just contradicted himself and people believed him. But folks, he was neither of those things. He didn't contradict himself. He plainly said, I'm talking about one event here for the Jews. He was talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. Well, how do you know that? Verse 34. What does verse 34 say? Of this I say to you, assuredly, this generation will by no means pass away until all of these things come to pass. But of that day and hour, nobody knows. He said, you're going to see the destruction of Jerusalem. Those of you who lived this, your generation will. And then he went on to talk about something else. Okay, now with that said, that idea of two being in the field, the days of Noah, two in the field, two in the bed. If you look closely at that context, uh, Brother Jim pointed this out to me. And then I read it somewhere is that the ones who are being left, uh, those were uh, uh, the saved ones. The one being taken were the wicked ones. That's opposite of you know, the thought process here. If this can't be a, a text of the rapture. Well, let's keep going. Let's go ahead for time's sake and, uh, well, we've got time. Let's look at Luke 17. Luke 17 is a... Um, 
comparison passage or a parallel passage of this. And yes, this one's a little harder sometimes to, to dig in because Jesus does um, talk about both events almost simultaneously. But let's start in verse 31 and read through verse 37, if you don't mind, please, sir. In that day he shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house. Let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field like him likewise not return back. Remember, remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you that in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken and the other shall be left. The woman shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two men shall be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, We're Lord. And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Now in that text, uh, very likely again talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, uh, but again, a proof text. This time... A proof text of the rapture, the idea that Jesus is going to take the righteous, leave the unrighteous. Again, the context suggests that it is the uh, uh, unrighteous who are the ones who are uh, being taken here. But just let this sink in. Um, we can't think this is the uh, coming in judgment because he said there, that uh, let he is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them. Can you imagine the ludicrousy of thinking, JT, that Jesus has come, you know, and said, JT, come, good and faithful servant, it's time for judgment. And Jesus said, wait a minute, I've got to go make sure the chickens, I've got to go check on. The, he, the, Jesus never said that when Jesus comes to take you home that you uh, don't run check on something else. None of us would ever think that. He's talking about a different situation here. Um, and again in verse 37, the idea of the eagles, that word is most likely vulture or buzzard, uh, where the uh, car carcass is. He was talking about the destruction that was coming uh, on the city of Jerusalem. So the idea of saying, well, one is left, the other is taken, that's proof text of the rapture. It cannot be because he isn't even talking about the coming uh, of the end or salvation of souls and judgment. Now, the main one is 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4, 13 through 15, 13 through 18. We've already read this passage, and so it should be, I think, And y'all forgive me if I'm a little uh, choppy. I don't know that I sounded or not because uh, I did what I knew better than to do. I spent the afternoon uh, sitting and working on lesson plans, not having eaten a single thing today, but nothing, drink coffee all afternoon. Uh, and so my blood sugar dropped and I ate three or four Tootsie Rolls. And I, I'm feeling better, but I'm thinking I sounded a little weird. So forgive me if I do and go ahead and fuss at me. Uh, I knew better, but I did it anyway. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, please. 
But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which, asleep, which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. When you look at this passage, to my knowledge, these three passages serve as proof text, if you will, or basis text of the understanding that, yes, there will be something called the rapture. Now, for this text to serve in that capacity, for it to logically do so, then there are some things that have to happen and some things that can happen. When I look at this verse, he's talking about, in fact, as I look at it, you see, he does say that. He said, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ will see, uh, rise first. See, told you. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. You see that to me, that makes perfect sense. That's, a, that's the rapture. Wait a minute. I, I humbly beg to differ. Not from me. If that's the case, then there would never be a thousand year reign on the earth because verse 17 says, unless I, one of those verses says, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. So if this suggests the rapture and then the righteous are taken, then everybody else is done for because that's it. There's no room for any other coming back, setting up a kingdom. Why? Well, because he said, thus we will always be with the Lord. So anything else doesn't fit. But there's more. As I keep looking at this just a little bit, I want you to notice, I, you see I had another thought there and I put it on there so I wouldn't forget it. But the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. Why do we think that this excludes the unrighteous. Scripture says, John 5, 24, John 5, 28, 29, that the dead will, uh, will hear his voice and come forth. They that have done good to the resurrection of an old life, and then they that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. That's at the same time. Wait a minute. The voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then they who are alive. Folks, when I look at that passage, that word then, that's a timeline of what's going to happen with God's people there. Because he doesn't address the unrighteous there, doesn't change the other verses that make it clear that there will be a resurrection of both unrighteous and righteous. And that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. Now, we don't even have to use those verses. I want you to imagine this being one letter, 
Well, there's two letters, but I've got, uh, uh, just like the Ethiopian who bought his Isaiah scroll, Dale, you and I, we put our money together and we both, we bought the letters to the Thessalonians and we took turns reading them and we noticed something. I want you to watch this. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And I keep reading, go to second Thessalonians chapter one. And rather than read the verses we are used to reading seven, eight, nine, I want us to read the whole context. The whole thing. Starting with uh, verse number three. Read it and listen to it. Three through ten. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is his meat, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth, so that we ourselves glory in you in the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that ye endure, which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer, seeing it as a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, and to you her trouble to rest with us, when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Right, let me stop you right there just for a second. We are so used to, because we're talking about judgment, if we're, if we're studying judgment, if we're studying the end of time, it is typical, I've done it many times, I know Brother Jim has, I'm quite certain, used uh, this passage starting with verse 7, when the Lord shall be revealed from heaven, uh, um, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not, of course. But wait a minute, look at verse 6 and 7 together. It is a righteous thing for God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. So when is that going to happen? When he comes, right? And now keep reading. Okay. In flaming fire, taking vengeance of them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the worth of faith with power the, and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he comes, verse 10, when he comes in that day to be glorified with his saints and to be admired among those who believe, does that not sound like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Uh, the righteous dead will be raised and we which remain shall meet the Lord and thus shall we ever be in the Lord, be with the Lord. Does it not also sound here, notice verse 6 again, I'm sorry I was a verse off there um, in your reading, but when he said, to give, repay the tribulation to those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest. Those two things are together. He's coming to, uh, to bring um, um, tribulation or repay judgment on the, un, on, on the wicked there and to give rest to the righteous when? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. That's together. That's at the same time. There just simply isn't any logical, biblical platform on which I can establish an understanding that supports 
the idea that Jesus is going to come and that there will be a thing called the rapture and that he will set up a kingdom. In fact, too many verses suggest otherwise. Now, if you or your friends or anybody you know feels differently, then I want to sit down across the table, preferably with a cup of coffee and an open Bible, and talk about those things. Because there are many things that we take for granted simply because we haven't looked. We haven't looked any deeper. So, then you, have a, uh, you have a little homework for next week. Uh, next week, we're going to look at some Bible truth compared to common misconceptions and error concerning God's plan for saving our eternal souls. So your homework this week is to search your New Testament and determine how does God save our eternal souls. And then, Lord willing, in the next two weeks, uh, he grants us that we're going to talk about what it says and some uh, and how that compares to what you may have heard and what others may think. Um, and I want to show you a couple of things, a couple of things that I got straight off of um, a website. And folks, I, I say this, I, I'm going to end this way and then we'll close with a prayer, is that I'm not standing up here bashing anybody's religion or anybody's thought process. Our goal has to be, must be, to please God through his word. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. As someone rightly said long ago, if I have a doctrine that follows the Bible, then I don't need that doctrine because I've already got the Bible. If I have a doctrine that has less than what the Bible says, I don't have enough, and I better throw it away. If I have a doctrine that has things in it that's beyond what the Bible says, then I have a doctrine that has too much. And it's going to cost me my soul. I better throw it away. So I need to think about it. Uh, now, as we uh, close tonight, I want you to think about uh, the things we've talked about. And I'll be more than glad. Somebody needs to remind me. Who's the most responsible person in here? I'm sorry. Don't worry about it. You're not, is it your talking Bible? I understand. Don't you worry. I, I understand. Trust me. I, I, I know. I knew you were struggling, uh, but uh, that's happened to me too.